Hi, I'm Jonathan Griffin, and you're listening to Gut Talks, double G-U-double-T. Hi, everyone. I'm Maria, and welcome to season three of Gut Talks, double G-U-double-T, a podcast about business, design, and gut feelings. I started Gut Talks a couple of years ago to educate, spread some karma on the board, connect, reconnect, or learn from awesome entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and investors. By the way, there are no sponsors on the show, but a like, a share, comment, and hitting the subscribe button would mean a lot. Now let's get started. So this is the next episode of our segment with Jonathan Griffin, where he shares some insightful points in the sports world, in the technology and coaching spaces, specifically in football and rugby. Here we go. Yeah, you touched on um, empathy, which is a key uh, feature, actually. I call it feature, but it's a key aspect. It's it's more than this because this is where it can, uh, you know, a company can make it or break it because it's being empathetic with what's inside the company and everyone. It's it's not sympathy, which is a big difference. If we sympathize, then we move on <laughs> afterwards. If we empathize, then uh, we can make a difference. And this is a, a key element. You, I'm, I'm glad you touched on it because this is one of the key, if you want, aspects when it comes to tackling, let's say, a, a design challenge or, or project. It's about understanding you know, how the others feel and think and see it from their perspective to be able to do things without just becoming them and just, uh, but keeping, if you want, your mind triggered towards what you need to achieve here but having this and balancing it out with what you're understanding and sort of experiencing which is cool we we talked also on the psychological aspect which is huge and there's obviously lots of pressure as, as we said and today kids get recruited very early to become you know professional athletes and we look at Messi we look at Ronaldo I mean we're taking maybe the top of the top and the, the creme de la creme right the extreme ones who are brilliant and and people would expect maybe everyone to be like them, especially Ronaldo. He's so disciplined. He's a brand on his own. And when you want to talk about discipline, about it's not just about motivation. It's about <laughs> discipline every day since I don't know how old he was and he's still performing at the top. How is it to recruit kids who have to leave their homes very early to become professionals? And do, do they have a life in that sense? Can they experience life as everyone else? Each country, certainly, and I'll talk only about Europe here. Um, yeah. Each country in Europe will have its own process, rules, regulations, and, and laws that will determine how academies can go about recruiting and training. So mm-hmm. the you know I worked at Fulham's Academy. It's a it's one of the top academies in England, if not in Europe. Unbelievably successful in terms of its production line, and that's an incredibly non-human term to use, but I use that in in its most empathetic way. And what I mean by that is, you know, by the time I, I left Fulham, we were regularly putting players into university, many on scholarships, because they weren't, you know, they weren't going to go on. Either they didn't want to, or they simply were struggling to get to get a contract. So at the age of, you know, 18, 19, 20, because we'd supported them to get their A-levels and, and their BTEC, uh, their final school exams, and they were of a high enough quality, we were able to get them to university. 
we're able to give them exposure into placement opportunities in, in certain businesses, et cetera. But we're also producing phenomenal footballers. Harvey Elliott is a good example. Um, two Sessignon brothers, another good example. Cavalero, who's now gone up to Liverpool as well. So the, these are the guys that people know. But there's a whole myriad of, of, of young lads who've gone out and and started their professional careers at lower clubs and, and, and have worked up. Uh, Jed Spence is, is another uh, who's just got bought from Nottingham Forest and gone to Spurs. Uh, you know, he started off slightly down the leagues and, and has worked his way up and he's done a phenomenal job. There's some really great work being done. I think the if we back up in England, typically we start recruiting from the age of nine. Nine to 12 is one group. 13 to wow. 16 is the next group. And then you've got your 18s and, and your 23s. Your 18s and your 23s are your full-time professionals. They are full-time professional and they'll do their final year uh, school exams. And they'll finish them at 18, but they are full-time contracted footballers. Everyone else is going to school, leading their lives and doing what they want to do. I would actually argue that in a good to great academy, those young men and women are getting a phenomenal experience because the breadth of their experience has just expanded. Yeah, They are not denied other opportunities. And I think that's important. So for instance, at Fulham, we would support our best 14 and 15 year olds at their school swimming gala or their school cricket or their school rugby. And we would support them to go and do that. Maybe not all the time, but when we could, we would. And we would be proactively engaged with each of those schools and the parents around, you know, where these young kids are going. Because obviously you're looking to plan mm -hmm. forward. Everything's planned in pencil because things change. But you're planning forward and you're trying to give an element of certainty and, and certainly insight into where you may be able to go if you achieve A, B and C. So I think the holistic scaffold that is put around these young men and women in, in academies, certainly in England, from what I've witnessed, is, is, is exceptionally good and, and only ever getting better as more, more mm -hmm. research comes out. And we, we were doing huge amounts of research, which I managed when we were at Fulham. But I would argue that these kids are getting an expanded opportunity. So, you know, as long as you're not taking something away, yeah, then you're just adding to. And I think there's a lot to be said for asking children and adolescents at the appropriate time simple questions what do you want to do you've got a choice you can't do both you've got to do one or the other you know those are great learning experiences and how much time and effort do you, want, do you wish to put into this you know and and most kids most of the time will want to and engage and when they don't they'll opt out or they'll yeah. stop or, or whatever so i think there's enough flexibility in the system to allow that to occur I think uh, you know you you certainly will not find the next Messi as a nine year old. That's guessing to a better degree, but you're guessing in terms of what you see in front of you. You know, if yeah. you're a good player now, there's a good chance with good coaching, good support, you'll be a good player. You know, and and kids go through growth and maturation and puberty and all that sort of stuff. So we don't know who grows, who doesn't grow, who goes forward, who goes backwards, and all that sort of thing. And then there's just life. And I, I know a lot of kids at the age of 14, 15, 16, as they go through puberty, life changes. Uh, yeah. They become more academic. Chess becomes more interesting. Rugby becomes more interesting. They offer another opportunity and they opt out. And then there are those kids that are trying really hard that don't get it. So I think there's a large sway of, of opportunity in academies. Good example is, you know, kids getting fed. And, you know, from a social engagement perspective, you know, I am aware of, certainly when I was at Fulham, I'm aware of kids whose pretty much only meal of the day would be the meal that they get at fun. And we would look after them. We would help them with their schoolwork. We would help them with our school. We would engage with with, uh, with all their necessary authorities and they would get, we would ensure that they get home, they get clothing, all that sort of stuff. But that's at one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, we've got kids who may never travel out of London, 
are, are going to airports and flying to a tournament in Switzerland for five days. Mm-hmm. Like, what a great opportunity at the age of 12, 13 or 14. So I understand what people say around the academies. I think on the whole nowadays, I think there are a huge amount of positives that, that outweigh those negatives. The structures, the welfare drivers and the laws that are now in place mm-hmm. enable most kids to have great time most of the time. And, you know, for the lucky 2%, they go on to have have football careers and hopefully yeah. good football careers. So I think there's a lot to learn from the academies and they're mm-hmm. constantly evolving, which is a really nice thing to see as well. And I think the FA and the Premier League in England in particular do a very, very, very good job. It's a very interesting point you made here because uh, quite a few things here as well. Uh, but one of them is through data as well. You can maybe mm. sometimes determine earlier, okay, if someone will be good or know how to make this person even better or not. So you don't have to keep this person until a certain time. But I guess you would know if you're, or make this assumption, I guess, if someone will make it or not. I, I don't know. Is it just... Um, it's difficult. And, it's and still the, difficult. Okay. The difficulty is puberty. Okay. So peak height velocity, that's puberty. Puberty is difficult. And it's difficult because of a whole gambit of changes. So psychological changes, uh, social changes, emotional changes, physical changes. So if you've got a, a group of, you know, I think puberty in boys happens approximately on average at 13, give or take. You could have 11-year-olds mm-hmm. who've gone pu- puberty. You could have 16-year-olds who are only going through puberty. So you could have a an under 13s where a third of them are going through puberty, a third of them have yet to go through puberty, and a third have already gone through puberty. So when you then consider all of those other variables that come into play, that's really the anchor point at which you then start to get an understanding of whether or not someone is on a, has the potential to be a professional footballer. Every okay. kid before that, what we do is we're coaching them as well as we can. There's a lot of fun and you're just trying to make them better on a day-to-day basis. And then puberty becomes fundamentally, the, I think, the driver and you know maybe a slight oversimplification but it's going to be the key driver as to whether or not we now have potential in this kid like i said you know some kids will will hit that and go do you know what life offers me something else and some kids will go this is the single most important thing in my life i don't care about anything else and everything in between and at that point you're now at a place because physically we now know where they're going we can now start to project and emotionally you get a very good understanding of, of who they are and where they are. And obviously you've done a lot of pre-work with them, but you really don't know what's going to happen until they hit that point. So data only puts you in ballparks. Like nobody has data out there that can predict or project any kid. Everyone's playing with data at the moment, but the variability in it is just is just staggering. But but what we've got, like in, in the UK, we've got years of data now on on puberty so we've been able mm-hmm. to track kids through we know when puberty happens and so we're collating great databases and there's great information there's some great work being done a couple of universities that are supporting the Premier league and all that academy data is shared anonymously across all academies so uh-huh. we can get access to all of that and that becomes really important because now we can start to build individualized programs yeah. for kids in gyms and out of gyms school work we understand uh, sort of cognitive development points and, and all that sort of stuff as well. So we can start to piece bits together, but still you're playing with fire if anybody says that, yeah, we, we can predict. Like that's not a word I'm, I'm particularly keen on in, yeah. in, in that world. But you hope to have really great practitioners as coaches in there yeah. 
who've been collating that information and have a good sense of where these people go. And these coaches are just phenomenal people, intuitive people, wizards, I suppose is nearly the word yeah. I've used, <laughs> because they have a human touch and, and they've been engaged with those kids and, and with those families for a long time. They know where they are. Are they on sound footing or not? And, you know, yeah, there are kids who've come from incredibly deprived backgrounds who've been incredibly successful. There have been kids who've come from unbelievably uh, privileged backgrounds and been very successful. So, you know, on that alone, you don't really know who's who's going to be or who's not going to be successful. So you're, you're just trying to keep as many kids in the program for as long as possible and surround them with great practitioners, with great principles and adhering to a mission and a vision and produce good people. And if you do that well enough, you will produce really good footballers. Yeah, interesting. Well, maybe the right word is maybe observing some patterns, but not predicting at all. And well, that is not that. even, yeah. <laughs> it starts with the gut. It ends with the gut. It's in your gut. Gut Talks. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, share, or like to get notified about the upcoming episodes of this segment and upcoming segments.